Amen. Well, good morning. I'm delighted to be with you this morning, um, continuing our series uh, that we've entitled Extreme Makeover Marriage Edition. And uh, I know there's some people in the room that are like, well, I can leave, I'm not married, but the reality is the principles we're going to look at today in God's Word apply to us no matter what our relationship is, uh, no matter who's in our life. Um, we have the same God, and he has the same instruction for all of us. It's just how we apply it. And we want to take some time as a, as a church leadership and focus upon marriage, because is marriage a foundational building, pl- building block of society? It is. Is it under attack in our world? Is it under attack by the enemy, Satan? Yes. And so we want to address that head on. We want to look at examples in the Word of God, men and women, that God had called into a a marriage covenant relationship and take a look at their lives. Take a look at some of the things in their lives that we can learn from. And so this morning we're going to focus around a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. We're going to take a look at their story. We're going to take a look at how they dealt with disappointment. Because is there disappointment at times in relationships? Raise your hand if you've ever been disappointed in another human being. Man, a lot of husbands and wives are raising their hands. Counseling's available at 3 o'clock every Sunday afternoon in my office. So, um, hey, uh, I want you to take a look at something that happened in this building 25 years ago. Uh, Married my high school sweetheart, Amy. Um, This was my first marriage and my only marriage. Um... There's, that's a picture of a guy who has no idea what he's about to get himself into. He's like deer to headlights. You see that? Yeah. He had no idea what was coming, but God has been faithful and he's, he's blessed us. We have five beautiful children together, and uh, we've been really blessed to journey life. One of my roles as a pastor is to now do weddings, along with Kurt and Jeff. Um, one of the things that, and it's actually a joy, right, to to be a part of someone's uh, exciting moment of coming together. And so this was the latest wedding I did. This is actually in the state of Louisiana. First time I did a wedding outside of the state of California. And uh, there's um, Kyle and Jillian Sawish. And uh, that's their moment of you may kiss the bride, obviously. And uh, so, hey, um, one of the things I do, and it's a great joy, it's a great privilege as a pastor is I prepare... Before the moment you saw up on the screen, I, I seek, I spend 10 weeks preparing couples for taking the journey that they're about to engage in called marriage. And we look at God's design for marriage. We look at the fact that God instituted marriage, and we looked at that last week here at Crossroads when we saw Adam and Eve. He's the one who created male and female. He's the one that said a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It was God's design, God's covenant, God's good plan that he put into motion from the beginning. And so we take a look at that, we dive deep into the principles of the word of God, and what I try and show the couple, and of course they have stars in their eyes. Kurt can tell you when you have couples sitting in your office and they can do no wrong, Right? You, you say, hey, name like three things that really bother you about your partner, about your fiancé. And they go, I, there's nothing 
that bothers me. And you're like, oh, these two, they're in love. They're in love, but they're not in reality yet, right? Reality hasn't smacked them upside the head yet. So what you're trying to do is you are trying to awaken them to the reality that marriage is more than just a a one-night stand. Marriage is a lifetime commitment, a journey that's going to take all kinds of turns and twists that you're not going to see coming. But God has a plan. He has a design. And if we follow that plan, if we follow that design, we can experience the blessing that he has in mind for this beautiful covenant relationship that he's created called marriage. So that's one of the things I do. And and within that counseling, one of the areas that I talk about is expectations. Expectations. Do you realize that no matter who we are or what we're doing, we're all carrying around a set of expectations in all moments of our life? You realize that? Whether or not they are fully formed or completely clear in our own minds or not, whether they have been stated or understood or accepted by another person or not, Whether or not they're realistic and practical or not, we all carry around expectations. Constant expectations. And, and you know, we naturally have those. And, you know, they they include relating with others. And and the, the closer the relationship, the more important it is that those expectations be met. Because what happens a lot of times in marriage is we, we begin with these expectations, and then we have the experience. And the difference between what we expected and what we experience can sometimes be quite a gap. Can it not? And in that gap between our expectation and our experience, frustration, anger, resentment, disappointment, all of those things become a breeding ground. It's fertile territory for those things to begin to take hold in our hearts and in our lives. And that's a reality. And so one of my goals as a counselor in marriage counseling is to try and shorten the gap between the real expectation that you have of one another and the experience that you're about to go and journey on and have. It's trying to bring that gap to a shorter distance so that there's less room for the enemy to attack. Less room for disappointment and and, um, heartache and frustration to take hold within the marriage relationship. Because Satan loves to feed in that ground. He loves to kill, steal, and destroy and divide in that area of our lives. You know... Today I want to examine an example of marriage in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah. And I want to see what we can learn from their lives. As they dealt with disappointment. As they dealt with seeing an expectation that they had. It was an expectation that came from God. It was an expectation that was good. And their experience that seemed to fall short. What is it that we can learn about dealing with disappointment this morning? Would you join me in prayer as we open God's word? Heavenly Father, I thank you for marriage. I thank you for the reality, God, that we can enjoy your plan, your blessing. But God, it's a difficult journey. And it's it's wrought with opportunities for disappointment and despair. And God, I pray this morning that 
you'll open the eyes of our hearts to see firsthand an example of a husband and wife that, that constantly dealt with disappointment. And God, help us to learn from their example both of what not to do, but also what to do in dealing with this disappointment. So that we can learn to forgive, that we can learn to move forward in stronger relationships with one another, especially in the area of marriage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked at Adam and Eve. This is 21 generations later. 21 generations is, is several thousand years. So 21 generations later, but it's only 10 chapters later in your Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, and I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 this morning. That's where we're going to begin with the story of Abram and Sarai. But let me read this for you. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 7. Nehemiah 9, verse 7. This is way later in Israel's history, looking back at the beginning of their history. And the beginning of their history was the call of Abraham by God. And Nehemiah writes these words, and he says this, You are Yahweh, speaking of God, that one we just sang of, the one who is the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That God is Yahweh. Nehemiah knew him, and Abraham knew him. He says, You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and changed his name to Abraham. Wow. God is a God who meets us where we're at, but doesn't intend to ever keep us there. He wants to make us a new creation. And that's what he did in the lives of Abram and Sarai. He changed them from who they were to who he wanted them to be and become. We're going to look at that this morning as we dive into their story. Genesis chapter 12 Read with me. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. So Abram went. There's faith, there's obedience. As the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Who is under 75 years old in the house today? Do you realize that you might not yet have heard God's call and plan on your life? You're thinking, I've reached the end. No, you haven't. You might have just started the beginning. God's not done with you yet. He calls on a man who's 75 years old and says, I have a plan for your life. Will you follow me? Will you trust me? I love Frank. He's still handing out bulletins and, and shaking hands and greeting people. And he's, I think, 90s. I'm not sure how old that guy is. Nobody knows. It's a mystery. It, he's probably Melchizedek. It's just no beginning, no end. Uh, he took his wife, Sarah, verse 5. Sarai, that was her name, uh, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people he had acquired in Haran, 
and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem, at the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to Yahweh there, and he called on the name of Yahweh. What a beautiful story. We get the beginnings of Abraham's life, and we don't really hear much about what happened in his first 75 years. Suddenly we get introduced to this man who God had been working in his life to draw him to a knowledge of himself and to a willingness to follow him. And Abram said yes to the call of God, and now he's on a journey. You can imagine how many love moving. Anybody love moving, packing up all your stuff and seeing all the junk you've acquired, right? Well, he's got to move everything. And it's a big ordeal. Caravans of camels, right? And they're on the move, following God's plan. So we have a first expectation that's created here in the lives of Abram, Abram and Sarai. The expectation is this. God's chosen us and promised us a blessed life. We expect God will take care of us. Whoa, what a beautiful expectation. You know, you know how many um, couples sit in my uh, office and they realize, like, God's designed this marriage thing for us, and we're going to have a wonderful life together? Everything's going to be roses. That's what happens, right? We have an expectation. It's a good expectation. There's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't think, like, marriage is going to be a, such a struggle I'm not going to stand him or her later on. And Is that how they should be thinking at the beginning? No. If, that, if that's the way you're thinking at the beginning, you just as well part ways early, right? Because you're not going to be ready when it really hits you. You're not going to have that built-up reserve of loving each other that you're going to need. But you know, if we're in Christ Jesus, this should be our expectation too. Do you realize that we're chosen by God? that we were handpicked to be here this morning, to hear the revelation of who God is, to have an opportunity to choose his son Jesus, to be our rescuer, our deliverer, our savior. You were chosen by God. You were promised a blessed life. And we should expect God will take care of us. I want to read 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9 with you guys says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Who's he speaking to? Who's Peter writing to? The church. He's writing to those in the church. A people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises. This is your mission right here. This is part of what you're supposed to be doing. Proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen? Amen. That was Abram's experience as well. God had chosen him. God had called him. And God had promised him a blessed life. So just uh, two verses later, in verse 10, Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read about the experience. Remember, here's the expectation. Way up here, we're going to read about the experience. Not long after. 
There was a famine in the land, verse 10. So Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. Right away, right out of the gate, God had said, you're chosen, follow me, you're blessed. And what does Abram and Sarai experience? Suffering. Disappointment. The reality of life. There's a famine, and it's severe. So severe that they can't even make it where they are at. They have to flee and find food and find resources. Experience number one here, life doesn't always feel blessed. We're not always going to feel God's goodness right now. Where's God? Where's God? Sometimes, have you ever felt that? Have you ever been journeying through life and you start going, man, this experience is not what I was expecting. Maybe you turn over in bed, you're married, and you see the person sleeping next to you, you go, that's not what I was expecting. Yeah, don't say it out loud. So there's some marriage advice. But there's times where you're disappointed in one another. You're disappointed in the journey so far. Life hasn't been all that you had hoped for. He's unemployed. She's not doing housework. Whatever it is, we can get frustrated. The gap between our expectation and our experience is where frustration, disappointment, and anger can fester and grow. This is a crossroads moment, no pun intended, in our life. Each time we experience disappointment, each time we experience frustration, it's a moment of decision. What are we going to do? It's a crossroads moment for us in our marriages or in our lives in general. How will we deal with this disappointment? Let's find out how Abram and Sarah dealt with it. They dealt with it this way. They failed to trust God. They failed to invite God into their situation. And instead, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Let's read verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Now, this, by the way, she's 65 years old. All right? She's 65 years old. So, ladies, there's hope. All right? Yeah. What a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Yeah, Abram's really worried about her, right? No, he's all thinking about himself. Please say you're my sister so that it will go well with me. Well for me, but what about you? I don't care. It's about me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Abram was right. He was married to a hottie. (laughs) Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. That was a common thing in that time. If the kings knew that somebody was single, they would bring them into their harem. And they would be all about the king's palace and the king's glory and That's just the way it was back then. But if the woman was married, well, she's already taken. She's off limits. Yeah, I guess the king could kill the husband and try and grab the wife. But the husband was to to stand up for her, to represent her and to protect her. Was Abram doing that? No. You think Sarah was a little disappointed? 
Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. Verse 16, he treated Abram well because of her. Oh, you're the brother? I'll give you lots of gifts. And Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. Verse 17, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Who was going to look out for Sarai when Abram didn't? God was. God had a plan, and he wasn't going to allow Abram's foolishness to screw it up. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, what have you done to me? Somehow Pharaoh has a revelation that he is with a married woman, or he's about to enter into a relationship with this married woman. But he's been deceived. He's been lied to. And now he's upset. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her as my wife. Now here is your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Compromise number one. Compromise number one. Instead of dealing with the frustration the way that God wanted, they decide to compromise the truth and compromise walking in the truth. Can that be easy to do when we face hardships, disappointment, frustration, and difficulty? It can, right? We go, man, maybe I can just like bend the truth a little bit, maybe get my way this way or that way kind of make life a little easier if I don't fully walk in the truth? And that's what they decide to do. You know, this wasn't the only time. 20 years later, Abram does the same thing. This time, a man named Abimelech. He was a king in the Negev, which is the desert region down in southern Israel. Verse tw uh, chapter 20, verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, What have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you have brought such enormous guilt on me and on my kingdom? God had said, You're about to die, buddy. You have a married woman. You better... You better Pack up your belongings because you're going. Your life is going to end. He gets this horrible vision from God, and he's scared. And he goes to Abram, and he realizes, like, what are you doing to me? You have done things to me that should never be done. Abimelech also said to Abraham, what did you intend when you did this thing? What are you thinking, Abraham? Listen to what Abraham replies, verse 11. I thought, there is absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Yeah, it's kind of weird. He marries his stepsister, half-sister, whatever you want to call it. But back then, it was perfectly normal to marry, like, cousins and different relationships that are a lot closer than what we do now. Because back then... The DNA wasn't as contaminated by all the sin and the, the mess that it is today. But Abraham, instead of elevating the marital relationship over all things, he chooses to go, well, we can tell kind of like a half lie, half truth. Let's just say that you're a sister. Leave the married part out. Does God want us to elevate the, the relationship of marriage? Yes, absolutely. But they decide to compromise the truth. 
What's the result of compromise? When we compromise the truth, you know what happens? Our testimony is tarnished. Our testimony is tarnished. That's to outsiders. Both the Pharaoh of Egypt and this king named Abimelech, were they, were they excited about who Abraham is now and what, what God he represents? No. They feel betrayed. They feel lied to. They feel like, well, I want nothing to do with your God or your whole way. You've been a deceitful, lying fool, and you've jeopardized my kingdom. And they tell him to get lost. Whenever we compromise the truth, our testimony to outsiders becomes tarnished. Does it not? I want to tell you about a story, because I wish I could say I've always lived this way in my own marriage. But I haven't. I've failed. I'm human. There was a time where Amy and I were just starting out in marriage. We were living in Portland, Oregon. And my wife worked downtown in Portland. She was an insurance underwriter assistant or something like that. And so she had to take the public transportation because we only had one car and we lived off campus and I used the car to get to school. I was finishing college. And so she would ride the public transportation downtown and back. But we were really poor and things were tight. God had promised to bless us. I know we were called. I'm excited. I'm preparing for a life of ministry. And I'm thinking, God's going to take care of us. And then I looked at my checkbook and my pocketbook, and I said, no, I'm not seeing it. And so we would normally buy a public transportation pass each month. It costs about $100 a month to ride the public transportation. And I was thinking, like, man, we just can't afford it right now. we got, we got to spend our money elsewhere. We just... Maybe we can just not buy it this month. So I turn to Amy and I go, hey, are you ever like checked on the, the max? Did they ever check your monthly pass? And she, you know what her reply was? Hardly ever. It just hardly ever happens. It never happens. Right? And so I'm thinking, in my great wisdom, to bypass the monthly pass that month. God would approve of this. Because we had been faithful to buy it so many months in a row, and now we're just struggling. Clearly, God had something else in mind. We, we need to compromise walking in the truth a little bit. So we make a decision. More importantly, I make a decision for us that we're not going to buy the pass. She's shaking yes. You know what happened that very day she gets on the max? An officer approaches her. And I just put my wife in a vulnerable position of someone who is freeloading, representing Jesus Christ. Oh, so, so uh, where's your pass? And what does your husband do for a living? Oh, he's preparing for a life of ministry. <laughs> do you realize what a tarnished testimony that we're going to have because I had compromised the truth and we decide to take a shortcut? It seemed harmless. It seemed like it would work out in my human wisdom. This was okay. God would understand but you know what that officer was? That's God's way of getting your attention. That's God's way of saying, don't shortcut the truth and walking in the truth. And when, when Amy got home that day, you can believe that I was put in a check because she was very upset. How dare you put me in this position? And I realized and we scraped all our pennies together and we bought a monthly pass. And she had that pass and we never went without the rest of the time. That became a big priority in our lives together. You know, is God a gracious God? Does he give you second chances? Can your reputation be recovered? It can. 
Let's read in Genesis 15, the next moment in their story. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God is faithful. He shows back up in Abraham's life, in Abram's life. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Isn't that amazing? Is God gracious or what? Did Abram deserve a reward? No. But God says, despite your unbelief, I will still bless you. I will still reward your life. God is so gracious. Verse 2, but Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is one of my servants, Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, verse 3, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to, them, to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him, to Abram, as righteousness. What is God looking for? He's looking for faith. He's looking for trust. He's looking for us, despite what we see in front of us, to believe in him and his promises. That's what God's looking for. And that's, that faith is what created Abram being right with God. That faith in God's promise. Expectation number two, God has promised me a future, and it will be through a son he will provide. I expect God will do it. I expect God will do it. You know, I want to just touch on something real quick because throughout the first five books of the Bible, we call it the Torah or the Pentateuch, there are stories of God's redemptive plan that are revealed. Sometimes they're under the surface of the story itself, but when, when examined, they can be brought to light. It's a beautiful thing. God began from the very beginning in the garden to promise to redeem mankind to promise to bring reconciliation between himself and sinful mankind. And I just want to promote my class, if I can, for a minute. There's a class coming up, October 1st. I've entitled it, along with Jeff, The Five, Tracing the Story of Redemption Through the Pentateuch. I want to encourage you. It's going to be at 9 o'clock in the morning, beginning October 1st. If you've ever tried to read through the first five books of the Bible and you get, like, lost about halfway through Leviticus... This is a class for you. You'll come away with just an unbelievable understanding of God's plan of redemption as revealed through the beginning of the Bible. And I want to encourage you to check that out if you can make it at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings beginning October 1st. Let me read for you Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Paul writes about this episode in Abraham's life. The Apostle Paul, we just got finished with one of the books that he, one of the letters he wrote, 2 Corinthians. In Romans, he writes this. Abraham, verse 16 of chapter 4. Abraham is the father of us all. Nate mentioned that this morning. Father Abraham. Anybody know the song? Father Abraham had many sons. In God's sight, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. That's who God is. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So your descendants be. So will your descendants be. He considered his own body, 
to be already dead, since he was all about a hundred years old, and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith. Listen to me very carefully. Did he just start to go, just imagine what's the reality that he's living, or did, was he facing the reality? He observed the reality. He goes, my body's basically dead, my wife's womb is dead, but God has made a promise, and I'm going to believe. God doesn't want us to pretend like our reality doesn't exist. What he wants us to do is have faith in him and his promises to overcome our reality. Husbands and wives, you need to listen to that. God is more powerful than whatever we're facing. We need to believe and trust in him. Listen to this. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, this next two verses is awesome stuff. Listen to what Paul says. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone. What? This is all about Abraham's story. What does that have to do with me? Paul's about to tell you but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. What are we to have faith in? Jesus Christ and his resurrection. When we have faith in the Son, the promised Son of God, we can have our righteousness credited to us through that faith. What does that mean? That means right standing with God the Father through his son, and through us placing faith in that son. That's the gospel. That's what God wants each one of us to believe in. He was delivered up. Who was delivered up? Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, and raised for our justification. That's what Jesus accomplished on that cross. That's what we celebrated in communion this morning. Have you believed? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Abraham did. We don't know what extent he understood about the promised Messiah, but his son was a type of that Messiah to come. Verse, uh, Genesis 16, Abram's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abraham, Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave, perhaps through her, I can build a family. Do you remember what the expectation was? The expectation that we looked at? God has promised me a future. It will be through a son. He will provide. I expect who will do it? God will do it. Here's the experience. The experience is God's promise just isn't happening like we thought it would. We feel like God can't give us what we need or what we want. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, should we allow our feelings to dictate our actions? No, we go back to the promises of God. We go back to the faith that he's asked us to have. But that's not what happens here because, again, the gap between our expectation and our experience is where frustration, disappointment, and anger can grow. Again, it's a crossroads moment in Abram's and Sarai's life. How will they deal with this frustration? Well, dealing with disappointment number two, Abram and Sarai fail to wait on the Lord. 
They fail to wait on God's plan. They fail to ask God for help in working out their feelings of frustration. And instead, they take matters into their own hands. Genesis 16, verse 2, Sarai said to Abraham, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. There's an assumption. Go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abraham said, no, honey, we should just always have faith in God's plan and trust him. No, Abram was a man with all of a man's urges and desires. And he agreed to what Sarai said. He said, oh, that sounds good. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. How many wives should a husband have? One. That was the design from the beginning. We saw that last week. What was Abram doing? He was doing what was acceptable in the culture. He was doing what the culture said was okay to do. You can have as many wives as you want, as long as you got the resources to take care of them. Did Abram have the resources? Oh, yes, he did. Because he was blessed by God, despite himself. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. How long had they lived in the land? I think I skipped verse 3. So Abram's wife took Seah and gave her to Abram. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. How long had they tried to wait? 10 years. 10 years can feel like a long time, can it not? How many have been waiting on God to do something for six months? For three years? For 10 years? Right? It's, It's hard to wait on the Lord, is it not? Because we want it on our timetable. We want it in our way. And sometimes God goes, my ways are not your ways. You need to trust me and my timing and my plan. But they they shortcut, they circumvent God's plan, and they compromise what they know is right. They do something against their moral code. What God had given them to know what is right and wrong, they compromise doing what is right. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she realized that she was pregnant, she treated her mistress, who's her mistress? Her boss, Sarai, with contempt. Ha ha, I'm pregnant by Abraham, first try. What happened to you for 10 years? You're a loser. That's messed up. Sarai's getting the wrath of this new woman that used to be her slave and is now going to lord it over her. Hmm. Verse 5, then Sarai turns to her husband, Abram. You are responsible for my suffering. Wait a second, who gave her the mistress? Sarai, right? I can't understand women. She's blaming Abram, but it is Abram's fault too. He went along with it, right? She She doesn't remember her part in this apparently. It's all his fault. You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And ever since she saw that she was pregnant, she has treated me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. Woo! There's a little heated argument in the couple's relationship right there. So Abram replies to Sarah, here's your slave. She's now in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away. What is the result of compromise? Turmoil becomes typical. 
Where does that take place? Not amongst outsiders. Now we're talking about in your own home, in your own family experience. You compromise doing what's right, you're going to reap it. God cannot be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the consequences of that. And it hits you right where it hurts, right at home. This type of compromise is so devastating because it's felt up close, in the home, in the family life. When you step outside of God's design, you only hurt yourself. And you only hurt your own family the most. How many have ever experienced this in their family? It's not fun. It hurts. But is there hope? Well, yes, there's hope. Abraham and Sarah's story shows there's hope. God is a God of hope and restoration and second chances. God is full of grace and forgiveness. He never gives up on us, no matter what our past is. You're like, well, I've blown it. I have a couple marriages in my background. That doesn't matter to God. God can forgive that. God can restore that. You don't understand. I've stepped outside of God's design. He'll never forgive me. I'm struggling to forgive myself. You're wrong. God does forgive. And God, God does restore. And we're going to see that in just a moment as we, as we wrap up. But he desires that we repent from our sins. What does that mean? That means turn your back fully on that old way that you used to operate. It means coming fully clean with what you did. Don't hide stuff. Come clean before God and those you hurt. And return to follow him. Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down with, and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you. You will become the father of many nations. Abraham became the father of the Israelites, the Ishmaelites, the Edomites, the Midianites. And spiritually, he is the father of all who have faith in the promise of God. Your name will no longer be Abram. You know what Abram meant? Exalted father. But your name will now be Abraham. In Hebrew, it sounds like father of multitudes. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring through their generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as an eternal possession, and I will be their God. Verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, you know what Sarai means? Princess. It's a beautiful name, Princess in the native dialect. Do not call her Sarai any longer, for Sarah. You know what Sarah means? Princess. But what changed? Princess in the dialect of Canaan. In other words, he had changed her future and where she would forever inherit the land along with Abraham, signifying that she was transitioned to a woman of the promise and all the blessings that come with it. Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Expectation number three, as we wrap up, God graciously promises 
to miraculously provide for us in ways we can't even imagine. We expect God can do the impossible. That should be our expectation. Because we serve a God who's limitless. And who limits him? We do. By our lack of faith and by our lack of saying, God, I know you can accomplish the impossible. Abraham fell face down, verse 17, and he laughed and he said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you're going to name him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. Everybody's laughing about this. I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his future offspring. When God does a miracle, there is joy in the room. Amen? And God does a miracle. He gives the son, Isaac. Sarah also laughs. I'm going to skip that passage, but you can read it. Uh, Genesis 18, 10 through 15. Sarah laughs about it too. She can't believe it. Verse, uh, Genesis 21. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. This was the experience. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah born to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. Experience number three, God's promises are true. God can accomplish anything, and he's worthy of our trust and our praise. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about looking back on Abraham's life. What was going on in Abraham and Sarah's life? It gives us some insight, and this is where I want to close, because I want to talk about four ways that we can deal with disappointment as we close this morning. Hebrews 6.13 says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so, after waiting patiently, what did Abraham do, the Bible says? He waited patiently. Abraham obtained the promise. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Abraham and Sarah, they're, yes, they're an example of some of the things not to do, but they're also a great example for us of how to deal with our disappointment. Number one, go to God with your frustrations and disappointment. Do you realize like how often and how easy it is to forget about God in the moment where we need him most? Spend time taking those things to God, asking him for his help asking him for his intervention. Number two, obey whatever God instructs you to do. 
Stay faithful to whatever you know God says is right and good. Number three, wait patiently for God to work. This is probably the hardest one. Is it not? It's hard to wait patiently for God to work because it's his timing, not our own. I want it now. I'm a microwave guy. I don't like waiting for fast food more than a minute. Like, it, it drives me nuts, right? We have no patience in this society, and God is a God who wants us to have patience. Love is patient. God's love has been patient with us. Aren't we glad? We need to be patient with others and wait on God. Don't take matters into your own hands. That's the worst thing we can do. We saw that from their example. And finally, number four, grow in your relationship with God. Really get to know him, and you will trust in his faithfulness. Have you taken time to really get to know God? Or is he just some sort of concept on the surface of your life? Dive deep. Get to know him and his character. That's what Abram did through his life. He got to know Yahweh God, and he trusted in his promise. Will you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your, your word this morning. I thank you for, God, an example of Abraham and Sarah who struggled with disappointment that came from expectations that you had given them, but their experience felt something less. But God, when we come across moments like they did in our lives and are in our marriages, and we're at a crossroads, help us to turn to you. Not turn to our own ways or take things into our own hands or to give up or to give in. God, give us the resolve to be the men and women, the husbands and wives that you've called us to be. And God, we want to give you glory and praise because you always are patient with us. And you always are forgiving with us, no matter what we've done. Help us to turn to you with all of our hearts and with all of our trust. In Jesus' name.